We turn this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to begin just with the last verse of chapter 9. It says, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of Israel, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this will be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be a prince over his heritage. And when you depart from me today, you will meet two people by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin and Zilzah. And, you will, and they will say to you, The donkeys that you seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After which you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp and tambourine, flute and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be turned into another man. Now these are the signs that will meet you. Do what your hand finds to do for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal and behold I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel God gave him another heart. And all of these signs came to pass that day. In verse 17 it says, Now Samuel called the people together at the Lord, called together the people of the Lord at Mizpah. He said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, for the hand of all kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all of your calamities and distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And then the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Martrites was taken by Lot. And Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when, they stood, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people of the, from the shoulders upwards. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him in all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of kingship. And he wrote them down in a book and laid it before the Lord. And then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, for your direction. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be lifted up, that we would be challenged. Lord, we pray that we would be different because we've been in your word today. 
We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, all right, uh, let's take a look here. We are thinking uh, about life between a rock and a hard place, knowing a faithful God in an insecure world. One of the things we can think about today is that sometimes we have large decisions that are in front of us, and we're trying to figure out how do we make that decision well? How do we make that decision right? I just looked this up not too long ago. Uh, can you guess how many decisions that you make every single day? Any idea how many decisions that you make every single day? Here's multiple choice because I know you hadn't studied on this. 500 decisions every day, 10,000 decisions every day, 35,000 decisions every day, or 100,000 decisions every day. The answer is C. The answer is C, 35,000 decisions that you make every day. That kind of explains why you're tired and why you're worn out a little bit and your brain kind of hurts, all those things. 226 of those, 0.9, relate to food. Now, I look at that, 226.9, uh, that number may also have something else in my life as well, but 226.9, as I look at that number, I'm like, boy, that's a lot of decisions that I make about food, but then I think about out of 35,000, I think that number's kind of low. I think a bigger part of my day is, is spent thinking uh, about food, but the, if we have that many decisions that we make every single day, there is a pressure that is on us to make a right decision. There is a pressure on us to make sure that we get these decisions exactly the way that will benefit the rest of our lives. Where we are here in the story of 1 Samuel is that we are at this place where the people have come to Samuel. They've come to God and said, we want a king. Remember they decided they wanted a king because everybody else had a king. And if everybody else has a king, why can't we have a king? And so God kind of warns them about some of the downfalls of that and understands that, that, that God looks at that and says, listen, the, the reason you're choosing a king is because you want what everybody else has instead of what I have. But because God gives us freedom, he allows them to choose for a king. So now they have decided we want a king. But now comes the harder decision. Who's that king going to be? How do you choose the person to be a king? And so what we're going to look at here is we're looking at the first person ever to be chosen as king over Israel. And part of what we can look at as we study this passage of Scripture and part of what we can try to understand in this passage of Scripture is how do we make right decisions? How do we make, how can we make sure that we're making the, the best and the right choices? But there's a part of this that I want us to hear this morning is not so much about making the right choice, but part of what I want us to hear is about being the right choice. Because part of the application to us in this passage of Scripture is for us to say, listen, when we get these choices, those 35,000 choices that you make every day, how do I make sure I get those choices right? But more significantly than that, it is not how do we find the right king, but it's a question of how can my life be set up so that I am the person that God can use and depend and do a work in my life? What do I have to do to position my life for that? Let's take a look this morning at the Word of God. The first thing that I want you to think about here is that today God continues to call people just like you. 
Today, God continues to call people just like you. The reading that we did this morning began at the last verse of chapter 9, and Samuel the prophet says to Saul, who is just a guy at this point in time, says, listen, you've got a servant that's with you. Send him on. I want to talk to you one-on-one, and when we're just alone, here's some things that I want to say to you. And he says to him, he says, when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Oh, what a great sentence that is. In fact, when we go back to that announcement about small group Bible study, that's the whole point of it. It's the opportunity for someone to make known to us the Word of God. It's a huge opportunity to hear what it is that God has for our life. Now, for Saul... It's a pretty large task because when they get by themselves, Samuel pulls out this flask of oil in a ceremony that says, you are the anointed one, you are the chosen one of God. He says, you are going to be king. Boy, that's a life-changing call on your life, isn't it? That'll turn everything upside down. Now, in a part of the passage that we didn't read, is in the prior chapter, Samuel has kind of hinted to Saul, listen, you're special. God is about to do something significant in your life. And we get the sense from Saul's response to that, that he understands and he can read between the lines, this is something big. And there's a couple of different ways in which we can, we can read or interpret uh, Saul's response. One of them, he talks about how overwhelmed he is. I'm nobody, I'm not important, I can't do any of these things. This is way over my head. But there are some folks who have read that response and kind of think, man, he doth protest too much. He he, he is saying too hard, I couldn't do this, I couldn't really do this. So much so that it makes you kind of think that Saul says, maybe I can do this. Now, I don't know your full week ahead of you. I, I do not know your future. I think it's unlikely that anyone is going to come to you and try to anoint you king or queen this week. Okay, I, I think it's unlikely that anyone's going to come to you and, and have you kneel down and say, you know what, I've decided, I've prayed about this, you are going to be the leader of the free world uh, starting, starting Thursday. Now, just trying to think, if someone were to come to you with a bottle of oil and they would say, I've prayed about this and I believe you're supposed to be the person who leads the free world, you know, starting Thursday. There's a huge part of you that would say, what? No, I can't. It's impossible. It's too much. But let's be honest. There's a little part of you that you think, well, finally someone got around to asking me. Finally, someone has noticed that I have the answers that everyone else has missed. And so I don't know what that mixture is in, in your life. I think, you know, a lot of people would be like 97% no way. But 3%, yeah, I, I think that's probably about time somebody asked me to, to, to take the reins of the universe. My, my wisdom has been missing from this whole game. So, so we can't really read inside of Saul when he says, oh, I can't do this. How much of that was he was really overwhelmed? How much of that was false modesty? I got to believe it's probably a mixture of the two. Now, Saul's backstory is kind of interesting. He is introduced to us almost as though it's his business card that says, Saul, tall and handsome. That's just basically what it says. And I guess if you're tall and handsome, um, I won't even take a guess at what my percentage of that is, but if you are Saul, tall and handsome, 
You might print that business card, I'm Saul, tall and handsome, for all of your tall and handsome needs. I'm your guy. And the truth of the matter is, in the world in which we live in, when you're tall and handsome, it goes a long way. And so when Saul is introduced to us as tall and handsome, and then he's going to be anointed as king, there's a part of that that says, well, yeah, that's a pretty good choice. He's going to look great with a crown on him, and those postage stamps are going to be fantastic. I mean, this is a great choice. But if we scratch a little bit deeper, and we begin to look not just at what Saul looks like, but who he is, oh, it's a little bit more of a difficult choice. You know, some people have said beauty only goes skin deep, but dumb goes all the way through. I'm not going to say that Saul was dumb because he's bigger than I am. But, but, but Saul does not come across looking great when we're introduced to him. What we're introduced to him is he is chasing donkeys around the countryside. Basically, he, goes, he was searching for his father's donkeys here, then here, then here, and here. Basically, the entire parish. He, he, he covered the entire parish looking for these donkeys. He wants to quit. He's tired of looking. He has no ideas. He, he just wants to head home. And the fact is that he has this servant with him. And if it wasn't for this servant, Saul would probably be out there still looking for those donkeys today. As we hear the story, it is the servant, the young servant, the kid that's with him, who is the brains of the operation. In fact, as we take a look at this, this extent of Saul's spiritual gift, is basically he can reach things off the top shelf, okay? Now, listen, that's a valuable commodity. That's a valuable task that you're able to reach things off the top shelf. But if you're looking for king qualities, you're looking for a little bit more. And yet, God calls and speaks to Saul and says, you are my guy. You are the one that I have assigned to this task. Can you imagine God having that kind of conversation with you and then kind of knowing in the back of your mind, I don't know if I can do this. This is a little bit too much for me. I don't think so. Basically, I can't even reach the top shelf. I'm not even good enough for that. But I want you to know that God has a calling for every person who's here today. And I don't just mean a, a, a vague kind of calling. I mean some very specific things that he has designed for your life. I want to just mention a handful of them. These are things that God intends for you to unfold in your life. The, one of them is that you are to love your neighbor. Again, I want you to hear that. The, the, when, when they came to Jesus and said, tell us about the whole law, sum up the, what the most important thing about the law is. He says to love your, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Along with worship, loving your neighbor is the default activity discipline of a follower of Jesus. There's a calling on every person here to love your neighbor, well, I don't know if I can do that. You're called to do it. There is a calling on your life to be a servant of others. There's a calling on your life that when we gather together in a place like this, that you come wearing an apron rather than a bib. If you come a bib, you're ready to sit at the table and gobble up. If you come wearing an apron, you're ready to serve. 
And we need to have people that understand this calling on their life that instead of standing around and saying, somebody ought to, let me say, I'm going to take care of that. We have people across our church that live that out all the time. We can execute church because we have people with that servant spirit here all the time. There's a calling on your life to have that kind of same servant spirit in your life. There's a calling on your life to share your faith. Here's the thing is that there are people in your life that you know either by relationship, by friendship, by blood, or just plain proximity or by chance encounter that you come in contact with every week that hunger for someone to give them hope. Someone to give them a word of truth. Someone to give them a sense of a foundation that will not be shaken through all the storms of life. Someone that will answer the deepest issues in their life. And that is not a specialized calling, but that is a calling that applies to every person who is a follower of Jesus. You are called to share your faith. We are called to be obedient. We are called to take the word of God and to take my life and do everything I can to match my life up to the word of God. Man, if you saw my entire life this week, you would probably notice the places where my life doesn't match the word of God. Some of you that ran into me this week probably already made a note of the places that my life doesn't match the Word of God, but the calling on my life is to shift my life daily so that it matches up with what the Word of God is. The calling on your life is to obedience. And then the greatest calling that's on your life is to salvation. The greatest calling that's on your life is to the fact for you to realize that you were born separated from God. And then our sin and our choices and our life has only made that gap wider and wider and wider by the day. And yet Jesus, through his, through his life and his death and his resurrection, says, I will rescue you from that separation. And his calling is for salvation. And I would say to you, maybe like Saul, you look at it and say, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do the serving, the loving, the sharing, the obeying, the receiving the gift of salvation. I want you to know that you can. God knows your junk. He knows all the flaws. He knows all the broken. He knows those things. He knows them better than you do. You grade yourself on a curve, man. He sees you straight there. But he still gives you that calling. And just like he called Saul to a task, he calls each and every one of you to all five of those things that we spoke to there. Now I want you to be rest, I want you to rest assured. I want you to rest assured that if he calls you, he will also empower you. If he calls you, he will also empower you. This is the heart of the passage that we read here, the long chapter of chapter 10. Again, I can't tell you all that's happening in Saul's mind. He's got to have, again, part of that that says, yeah, it's about time someone recognized my tallness and my handsomeness, that I really should be a leader. But at the same time, he's like, man, I can't, I can't find these donkeys. I can't organize a sock drawer. Uh, not that they had socks in biblical times. They were more sandal people, but you get the idea. He says, I can't do all of this stuff. But I want you to notice the things that God does to reinforce this calling on his life. 
the first thing is, through Samuel, he tells Saul, these are the things that are going to happen next in your life. Now listen, if someone had this conversation with you today before you left church today, and these things happened in your life, it would blow your mind. He says, Saul, on your way home, you're going to have three stops. And these are who you're going to meet. This is what they're going to say. This is what they're going to be doing. This is what they're going to respond to you. And all of these specific things, you're going to meet these two people. Then you're going to meet these three people. They're going to be carrying this. They're going to be playing these instruments. They're going to be these prophets. They're going to come from here at every single stop. If someone told you that at lunch today, this is who you're going to meet and what they were going to say, then you were going to pick some stuff up at Walmart and you were going to meet people carrying these things. And then you were going to stop at an intersection of the traffic light by your house. And then these are the things that would unfold. And then all all of those things unfolded exactly the way they were, oh man, you would know something special was up. And that's part of what God does for Saul. He makes it incredibly clear. I am in this, and this is not coincidences. This is not just small things. These are not random occurrence. But this is the God who lined up the universe, who is lining up these things in your life. We also see here the encounter that one of these encounters was going to be a group of prophets that were coming and the influence of the Holy Spirit was going to be upon their life. And as Paul came and encountered with them, that same influence on the Holy Spirit would happen in his life. Now just a quick side note in terms of the Holy Spirit, this is a whole other week of stuff. But in Christ, since the resurrection of Christ, every believer has the Holy Spirit, very God himself, living inside of you. But before the death and resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit, God himself, would come to individuals for a period of time, one here, one here, one here. It was not a universal experience. It was a rather rare experience. But Saul was going to discover that that presence of Almighty God was going to show up in his life. And he was begun, begin to prophesy. He would begin to speak things that were more from God than they were from himself. And he would be able to know that the Spirit of God is on me. In fact, when people heard about it, when people saw it, they were like, can you believe the things that Saul did? Can you believe that he was prophesying? Can you believe that the presence of God was on Saul? There's a little bit of a parenthesis there. On Saul, can you believe? I mean, I understand that the Spirit of God falls on me, but on Saul. In fact, there was even this thing, is Saul even among the prophets? Is it possible that even Saul can be among the prophets? But God did that power. And then I want you to see what, how God describes it. He says that he is a new man with a new heart. He is a new man with a new heart. That's the work of God. That's the work of God. Too often we come to difficult things that are happening inside of our lives. Too many times we come to things that are challenges inside of us and say, I can't do that. God says, I know that. <laughs> I know that. I know that better than you do. But I'm going to make you a new man, a new person with a brand new heart. Let me just pause here for a moment. Some of you are standing on the edge or maybe even in the middle of something hard and overwhelming in your life right now. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's inside your heart. 
It's a hard moment and you throw up your hands and say, I can't do this. I want you to know that the God who put you in that place, the God who called you into that place, he has empowered you to do it. And you are not the same old person that you were before you came to know Christ. You are an empowered person with a new heart and a new spirit. You are a new man. You are a new woman. You are brand new in Christ. That is what he does. If you are in Christ, that's the encounter that you've had in your life. There's one more thing that we need to see in the text here today. And that is, make no mistake, that if God calls you and empowers you, it is for the purpose of deploying you, quite likely on the front lines. So there is this private ceremony where Samuel pours the oil over Saul and says, you're, a, you're anointed as prince, you're anointed as king, you are it, but it's still quiet, it's still private. In fact, uh, Saul goes home, meets his uncle and says, hey, I heard you talk to Samuel. Uh, yeah, I talked to Samuel. What'd you guys talk about? We talked about donkeys. Does not bring up the fact that, oh yeah, I was just anointed king over Israel. It's still quiet. Nobody knows this. But now Samuel calls the entire nation together and says, it's time. You've asked for a king. It is time to find out who the king is going to be. And the way that they did it is that they brought all the 12 tribes in front of Israel, maybe a representative from each one of the tribes. And what they call, they, they, they draw lots. They, they send a signal that God directs. And he says, this is the tribe. So, so out of the 12 tribes, they draw the lots. It's Benjamin. And then they bring all the representatives from Benjamin and they draw the lots and it's this clan, this, this extended group of families. And then from inside of that group of families, from that clan, they draw this family. And then out of this family, they are now down to Saul's family. And the word of God comes. It's Saul. And so what you have here is you have this drum roll moment. The curtain rises. Geraldo opens the, uh, op opens the vault kind of moment. Hey, here, here it is. Ta-da! And there's no da to the top. Saul is not to be found. They go back and say, God, did, did you miss it? Did, is there someone else that we forgot to look for? It's Saul. God says, go look in the baggage, because your king is hiding there. Man, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? Basically, you've anointed Curious George as king. He is hiding among the suitcases. He is trying to duck his moment of accountability. When it is go time, he wants no part of it. How does that happen? How does that happen inside of our lives that in this moment that God has called us to, God has equipped us to, that we drop the ball so badly and that we hide? I mean, Saul had the Spirit of God on him for, for goodness sake. How do you miss that? Galatians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, or 16 and 17 kind of explain it to us. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, that Spirit of God that's inside of you. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Here's the truth. The Spirit of God lived inside of Saul, but so did his flesh. 
And if you are in Christ, there is a constant battle inside of you between the voice of the Spirit of God that says, these are the things that I want you to do, and the flesh that says, yeah, but I want to do this. Now understand that these just don't run into each other inconveniently. These don't just bump into each other. It says they are directly opposed to each other. So yes, you are called. Yes, you are equipped. The bell rings. It is time to stand up and show up. And yet there still is inside of you. Do I listen to that voice of the Spirit or do I listen to the flesh? For Saul, whether it was fear, whether it was insecurity, whether it was doubt, whether it was stage fright, whatever it was, those were the voices of the flesh. And he ran and he hid. But you know what's great? God doesn't write him off. They, they finish the ceremony. They, they mark him as king. And then it tells us there at the end of chapter 10 that God puts on the hearts of some men of valor to go be with Saul and be with him to strengthen him and to build him up. Listen, the truth is you and I don't get it right every time. And you might have dropped the ball this week. You might have dropped the ball last time that God spoke to you. But you know what I want? I want to make sure that I get it next time. In fact, I want to make sure that I get it this time. And this time when there is a choice between the voice of the flesh and the voice of the Spirit of God, as hard as that choice may be, I want to lean into that spirit of that flesh, or in the spirit of the, the voice of the Spirit. That's the one that I need to listen to. Earlier, we talked about five different callings on your life. We, we, we talked about the calling of salvation, of obedience, of sharing your faith, of serving others, of loving your neighbor. And take a look at where you are this week. Is there a call on your life to one of those? A difficult person in your life that you need to go out of your way to love on? Is, is there some folks that you need to serve, put that apron on? Man, has it been a while since you've shared your faith with somebody? Is there a place in your life that's out of sync with the Word of God? And most significantly, is it possible that you've come all the way to this day in life and you've never rectified that separation between you and God that's caused by sin? That separation that Jesus died to close, to cover, to remedy, to fix, and to heal. Is it possible you've come all the way here and you haven't responded to that most basic call today? Man, it's not complicated. It's not hard. It is simply saying, Jesus, I recognize my need for you. I can't fix myself out of this hole. Would, would you forgive me and be in charge of my life? You know, the, the great mystery of life that we're never going to solve in this world is how do I take care of my junk from yesterday? Man. 
Every single one of us has got junk from yesterday. Man, and people will sell you a book, people will sell you a deal, people will sell you all kinds of things. But it never takes care of your junk from yesterday. Only Jesus can remove the junk from yesterday. And he says, I've given you everything I can to take away that junk. That sin, that brokenness, those wounds, whatever it is, all of those things. And all you have to do is ask him to take it away. That's what he came to do. It's his purpose. All we have to do is respond. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word, for your truth, for your challenge. Lord, but I thank you for your spirit that works throughout this room. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with someone here this morning that man has felt your tug on their life in one of these places, to salvation, to obedience, to sharing their faith, to serving, to loving. And Lord, they know that you are speaking to them. Lord, I pray that they would listen to that spirit and that they would respond. We pray these things in your name. Amen.